0: You're listening to Time in the Word. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. Dr. Gonzalez shows us from the text that if Christians are going to successfully restore wayward Christians and help people come to know Christ and be in a saving relationship with him, then they will have to be merciful and compassionate, minister with a sense of urgency, and proceed cautiously when dealing with false teachers. As God ministers to you through this series of studies, and as you experience God's loving grace in your own life, share these podcasts with others so that they too may be blessed by God's word and his amazing grace. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez continues his current study in Jude. Open your Bibles to Jude. We will be looking at verses 22 and 23 today. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. These are indeed terrible and very trying times we live in. And many give up on God because the task is perceived as being absolutely overwhelming. However, apostasy is never an excuse to quit. We must be faithful in service until the day in which he returns. As God's people, we have a duty to run and to finish the race. In Ecclesiastes 12:13, Solomon said, "The end of the matter, all has been heard: fear God and keep his commandments." For this is the whole duty of man. Here, now Jude lays out the program for restoring wayward Christians and bringing people the gospel in the hopes that they might accept the truth and find themselves in the personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There are three things that Jude points out in these two verses that Christians ought to do. First of all, we ought to be merciful. Notice in verse 22, and have mercy on some who are doubting. Here is the starting point. Mercy is a must if we are to survive and be fruitful in these last days. Every Christian can love the way he ought to. William MacDonald insists that, and I quote, a certain measure of spiritual discernment is necessary in dealing with victims of apostasy. The scriptures make a distinction between the way we should handle those who are active propagandists of false cults and those who have been duped by them. In the case of the leaders and propagandists, the policy is given in 2 John verses 10 and 11, where it says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds." But, in speaking of those who have been deceived by false teachers, Jude counsels making a distinction and gives two separate courses of action. Close quote. Paul said in Romans chapter five, verse five, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God is our example for love in psalm eighty six uh, fifteen it says, "But you, O Lord, are a God." merciful, and gracious, slow to anger, and abound in steadfast love and faithfulness. May God help us to be full of compassion, full of mercy, Jude says in verse 22, on some who are doubting. Jude is saying that we should mercifully help fellow believers who may be struggling and perhaps stumbling under the influence of false teachers. Jude has in view here earnest doubters who sincerely have difficulty discerning between truth and error. They're wavering in their loyalty. We should not abandon these brethren, but be compassionate and seek to restore them. Now, our love must be a threefold love. First of all, we must love our Saviour. In Matthew 22:37, 37, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. We often fail because of an insufficient or an immature love for God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Our service and our ministry must be motivated by our love for Christ. The church at Ephesus Was doctrinally sound. Jesus commended their stand, but he goes on to say in Revelation 2:4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Ephesus was a church built on sound doctrine. They knew what they believed, and they practiced it. They were separated both ecclesiastically and personally. Their purity of doctrine and continuance in service were unquestionable, but they had left their first love. They got so caught up on duty that they had lost their devotion. Their labor was commendable, but their love ended up being contemptible. Like Martha, They were so busy that they had no time for Jesus. Their relationship with Christ was based on performance rather than passion. They were far more occupied with the work of Christ than with the person of Christ. One preacher of old used to say, people can be straight as a gun barrel theologically and as empty as a gun barrel spiritually. This statement essentially sums up the condition of the church of Ephesus. We must love our Savior. Second, we must love the sinner. Matthew 9:36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Here's one of the keys to reaching and helping others, seeing the need and having the compassion to get involved. It makes no difference what else a lost uh, man may have. If he does not have Christ, he has nothing. Mark 8:36 says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? If we are going to reach the lost, we're going to have to love them. With so many on the broad road to the pit of hell, may God help us to love the lost. And finally, we must love the saint. One of our biggest problems is the lack of love for one another. Jesus said in John 13, verses 34 and 35, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another by this all will know that you are my disciples if, if you have loved one for another. It is sad to see how many Christians often treat each other. By looking at the actions of some, you would not think that there was any love in the body of Christ. Notice Christ's standard for our loved for one another, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you may also love one another. Not just love one another, but we have to love each other the way Christ loved us. Jesus said, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. Our loving care for one another gives the lost world a picture of God's love for them. So Jude urges Christians to respond to both the intellectual and the moral doubts of those affected by the false teachers. The end in view is not expulsion and condemnation of the doubters, but their restoration to fellowship. The second thing we ought to do is minister with a sense of urgency. Verse 23, the first part, but others save with fear. This is a dire situation. It will take more than compassion to reach this crowd. These are headed straight for eternal punishment. They are disobedient and wicked, and they don't care. A stand must be taken. The truth must be presented respectfully and compassionately, but without sugarcoating it. These offenders need to be brought to a place of realization as to their condition. They must know that they have offended a holy God of heaven, and his judgment awaits them. Jude says in in the second part of verse 23, pulling them out of the fire. James Shaddix argues that this, and I quote, second group faces an even more serious and precarious situation. So close are they to the fires of hell and eternal condemnation." Jude quickly interjects, "...save others by snatching them from the fire." Sounding the alarm, Jude calls for a quick and defi- decisive action. It is almost too late. They're almost too far gone. However, there is still time to rescue them, but we must act now. There is urgency in Jude's voice. There is a heightened concern in his heart. I suspect there is a tear in his eye. Close quote. These individuals stand on the brink of hell. There's no promise of tomorrow. The Bible says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Proverbs twenty-seven one. They stand at the precipice, one step away from hell, becoming their eternal home. You recall the rich man enjoyed life. He lived it up. But the end came. And the Bible tells us in Luke 16.23 that he died, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. This is a serious matter because it is a matter of a soul that will live in hell for eternity. Psalm 917 says, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. One of the great tragedies of our day is that hell is growing while churches are dying. Isaiah 514 says, Therefore hell hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure there is a hell where the souls of lost men and women go and spend eternity without any hope to escape. We must tell them the truth. John MacArthur states, and I quote, the only way to rescue such people is to crush their false ideologies before it's too late. And this can be done only by the power of God's truth. Jesus modeled this principle during his earthly ministry to those who were confused, unsure, and filled with doubts he patiently and gently presented the gospel. But to those committed to false teaching, such as the scribes and Pharisees and their devotees, he bluntly warned of the gravity of their condition. Shaddix further adds, Hell is not a popular subject. People don't want to talk or even think about it. Many, even in the church, act as if it is not real. They think if we ignore it, it will just go away. We, however, must never forget as long as we live. Given enough time, every person will one day believe in hell. Sometimes confrontational evangelism is necessary. Sometimes it is our only hope. Close quote. And then the third thing is that we should cautiously show mercy to the corrupt. Jude warns in the latter part of verse 23, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh to hate even the garment defiled by the flesh means that believers are to hate the sin but not the sinner christians must never compromise on the truth or on god's commands about right and wrong when we try to rescue those deceived people we must do so without allowing ourselves to become contaminated by the false teaching this will not be easy to do and must be undertaken with healthy fear and respect for the spiritual warfare when God's truth meets head-on with Satan's lies. Christians have God on their side, but they must remember not to attempt anything in their own power, lest they too fall prey to the false teacher's lies. So Jude warns about the possibility of defilement. Therefore, we need to cautiously show mercy to the corrupt and remain vigilant when dealing with false teachers jude warns that we should even hate their garments which are polluted by sin this is a pictorial language taken from the old testament priest who would check the robes of a leper to see if there was any infection of leprosy if the garment was contaminated the priest had to burn it leviticus 13 verses 44 47 through 59 The teaching here is that we must hate the apostasy, the error, but love those who are caught up in it. We must realise the dangers of heresy and apostasy and be careful. Sin and apostasy are serious problems and we must take the greatest of caution in dealing with them lest we ourselves be defiled. Perhaps the figure is that their depravity has made them infectious. Christians are to show mercy, as in the first case, but now they are to be cautious, wise, and discerning, lest the infection spread to them. So Jude here is giving a very visual and expressive illustration. The filth, or pollutionist, graphic. Jude seems to be warning those to whom he is writing to avoid such a condition. Though believers may go to great lengths to save such great caution, must be taken to avoid going with them in their sins. One must take precautions and be vigilant in order to maintain moral and doctrinal purity. There is much wisdom in the warnings of Jude. While trying to save the sinner, we must still detest his sins. Albert Barnes notes that, and I quote, "...not a few have been deeply corrupted in their attempts to reform the polluted." There never could be, for example, too much circumspection and prayer for personal safety from pollution. Close quote. Edwin Bloom argues that, quote, contemporary culture is becoming indifferent to the question of truth. Christians have found truth in Jesus. Jude warns of the dangers in the mixture of error and, with this truth. So, His eloquent tract for maintaining the purity and truth of the Christian faith is needed in view of the relativity and syncretism so common today. While it must be granted that some Christians have been and are still intolerantly dogmatic about relatively minor theological issues, there is also the great danger of accepting uncritically all teaching or positions as valid in thus compromising God's once and for all self-disclosure in Jesus' Close quote. He further states, Yet even here God's wondrous grace can exchange the excrement-covered garments for festive garments of righteousness, for no one, not even the most defiled sinner, is beyond salvation through faith in Christ's redeeming work. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. May we be found faithful to you as we obey the instruction that Jude gives us in this epistle to contend for the faith. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.